You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life. Hello, hello, ho, ho. Oh, hello, ho, ho, ho. It's the fourth <laughs> Sunday of Advent with the lanky guys. You know, high in the skies above us, just floating a man in a sled little short people with him. No, the elves don't go with him. Do they? They just make the toys back in the North Pole. Yeah, well, isn't there like one like helper elf? At least? Is there? There should be. I mean, it would be more efficient that way. I mean, yeah, I mean, at least there like, might be. I don't know. Getting like the backpack. I guess it's really, it's really just him and, and like some reindeer, dude. The reindeer, yeah. Those elves, dude, they wish they could go on it. I'm trying to think of if I've ever seen a picture of him with any elves. On the sled. That'd be a pretty high-profile job if you were the <laughs> elf chosen to go on the sled. <laughs> Dude, the sleigh. The sleigh. I think that's considered being a high elf. Is that a pun? No. Okay. Like, <laughs> I was trying to. <laughs> okay. Well, like, isn't there like some sort of like character in like role-playing games? Like, I am a high elf or something. I don't know. I don't either. I'm man. proud to say I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I did watch the movie Elf on Friday with. Uh, we have family movie night every Friday. Oh. We watched Elf, and it was, I forget how much I love that movie. Dude, Elf is just. So, did you get the Facebook message from Angelica Dunn? No, oh, I'm sorry, Angelina Dunn. No. She said uh, she just wanted us. This was last week. I just wanted to let you guys know that I shared your podcast with my friend who happens to be the principal of a Catholic school here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She shared it with her middle school religion teacher, and you guys will be featured in their eighth grade religion class this week. Yeah. Do you know what my first thought was? Tell me. Oh, no. Did we make any fart jokes last week? (laughs) (laughs) And then I had another layer to that. I was like, well, maybe either... I hope we didn't because all the teachers will be offended. And then I thought, well, maybe I hope we did so the kids would like us more. So I don't know what I wish. Anyway, that was going through my head as I read that. So here's a shout out to the eighth grade class of whatever high school that is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's no eighth grade classes in high schools. Oh, did I just say eighth grade? It is eighth grade. It's eighth grade. Did I say high school? Yeah, it's okay. Man, wow! I um, it's a uh, it's a warm, beautiful day here in Colorado. The weather is just tremendous. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as embarrassing as you're making it. Today. I, I know it's a pretty uh, yeah yeah pretty bush league mistake. Anyway, yeah. hey, thanks. You bet. Any other shout outs to give? Um, Those guys. Well, to everybody who's been participating in our sponsorship <laughs> oh, drive, isn't it great? Have you been Have you been looking at it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much dude, you look at the Facebook dude, page. They are phenomenal. They're mo- like three quarters of them are Jesse Weiler. <laughs> <laughs> and they're ridiculous. He put a lot of work into that, dude, didn't he? He did. Chris Paget. What's What's your favorite one? Um. Oh, my favorite one is is the uh, where is it? It's Avery Balsinger and the Meerkat one. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Meerkat ad. We're sponsored by Meerkats. I mean, that's just fun. That's just good humor. That's just good. It? That's just good living. So. I like that one. So we are also like the tall and slim designer jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, you guys are, are rocking. Uh, but to announce our real sponsor Boom, is going to happen next week. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good to know. So, so keep those sponsorship documents coming in. So today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Am I right? You are right, man. Am I right or this, am I right? You're right. So the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we have great, we, have, we got a great set of readings today. Show enough, we got some readings here. So our first reading is coming from Second Samuel, 
chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, which is one of the most famous passages in the book of 2 Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is a very famous passage. Yeah, that's like, that's like saying it's a really famous, I mean, okay, it's pretty famous. It's one I was introduced once as easily the 38th best Catholic speaker in the United States. <laughs> Did somebody say that to you? Yeah. Uh, was, they, they introduced me that way. That's pretty phenomenal. Like, he is he is at least like the 35th best Catholic speaker in the world. <laughs> All right. Uh, so 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and then jumping ahead to chapter 8, verse... Uh, no, eight, no, wait, no. Verse what? 8b. Right. That's what I said. 8b verses... T- through, uh, why don't you captain this one? Okay. Um, 2 Samuel <laughs> 7, 1 through 5, 8b to 12. See, it's hard. 14a, 16. Like... The, the, uh, you know what I feel like? I feel like I just was a bingo announcer. <laughs> bingo! <laughs> you just made it bingo. I did. Okay, then we're looking at our responsorial psalm from Psalm 89, verses 2 through 3, 4 through 5, and <laughs> jumping all the way to 27 through 29. That's and our responsible is 2A. 2A, yeah. Our second reading is from the fabulous book of Romans. Chapters. Oh, I forgot the video I wanted to show you this morning. Don't go on it. Dolly. Have you seen the... Uh... <laughs> Saturday Night Live. It was from Saturday Night Live last week, I guess. Oh my gosh, the, the Father, Father Pat or oh, whatever. Oh man, did you watch it? Oh my gosh, it was, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. I'm going to put it on our Facebook site no, so no, you can all enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, no, somebody said that to it me. It was and so stinking funny. Oh my gosh, it was, it was like really, it was like cutting in the best way. There, every but priest they in the country will see that. understood the liturgy. Like they understood the mass and how it worked. It was really funny. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty phenomenal. The softest joke followed by the softest, softest laugh. <laughs> oh man, when you get that, it's so hard like, i don't know why it's so that was so funny to me that hurt <laughs> just, all right anyway okay so romans 16 25 to 27 very good our alleluia actually comes from luke chapter 1 verse 38 which is included in our gospel inclusio and our gospel is 126 38 luke that is oh <laughs> <laughs> forgot the book just pick a book and go chapter 1 verse 26 to 38 yeah, book uh, yeah just yeah. All right, so chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. Um, oh, man, oh, man, alive. There is so much to say about this because this is really, oh, man, it's a, a well-known passage. It's also probably one of the most important passages in the Old Testament. Yes, I said it. Boom. Yeah, that caught your ears. The dude, it did that just like that static electricity. Yeah, that was good. So here's what's happening. It's it's chapter 7, and um, chapter 7 is actually where we get what's called the— oh, where we get the Davidic covenant. Yes. So, you know, there's a series of covenants throughout the Old Testament given to all these kind of patriarchs. And David's comes in chapter 7. I dropped all my notes on the floor. But all my paper notes. Thankfully. That you always make fun of. Thankfully, they are um, <laughs> bobby pinned together or whatever. Safety pin. Thank you. Safety pin. So, chapter 7, we get the Davidic covenant. And this is really where the promises that God made to the house of David uh, kind of come to light, right? So these are really important words that are that are spoken in this first chapter, in this the first part of this chapter. So here's the context. Um, King David is now finally, for the first time really in his life, at peace. So remember, he spent a lot of his life on the run from King Saul. He was attacking him. He had been sort of ordained king before Saul was dead. Remember, Saul was the first king of Israel. Yeah. He was a terrible king, lousy guy. Uh, he was ordained, David was ordained as the new king who was going to come, but... He was ordained sort of before Saul was gone. And so he had to sort of kind of be underground. He was living in caves. He was being chased by Saul, always at war, always fleeing for his life. Even the, And it's kind of this beautiful, it's a beautiful story because David actually knows deep in his heart that he is God's chosen king. 
but he can't exploit that. He actually has to put that aside and say, well, I, who am I to, to grasp? He is the opposite of most of the characters in the Old Testament who are constantly, the whole nature of sin, especially in the Old Testament, is grasping after things that God has asked us not to grasp after. That's the apple, it's Abraham and Hagar, it's um, all the kings grasping for power. And David said, no, God has actually given me this kingship and I'm not going to grasp it. I'm going to be patient and wait for God's time to ascend the throne. Yeah. And I'm going to wait and I'm going to lie in caves and I'll you know, be on the run from Saul. So finally he's at peace and he's established as Jerusalem as at his capital. He's got peace in the land. He's defeated all Israel's enemies. And there's there's really calm for the first time. So David can take a break. He can take a breath for the first time. And you'll see that David turns to this guy named Nathan the prophet. And Nathan pops up a few times. Yeah. So Nathan um, is the, the, the royal, he's what's called the court prophet. So he's, every king had his local prophet, right? So yeah. we kind of think of, of prophets sometimes as these outsiders, as these kind of weirdos with big long beards coming in yeah. out of the wilderness. Like, you like know, how I look right now. I wasn't going to say anything like that. <laughs> but um, this one actually is is kind of in the in, in crowd, right? He's he's part of the, the, the structure, the governmental structure. And so David basically says, look, here I am. We're finally settled. We have this kingdom. Things are good. And I'm living in this big, beautiful cedar house, right? And God simultaneously is outside living in a tent. And he realizes, maybe that's not a good thing that I'm living in a giant cedar mansion and God is in a tent. Yeah, in the there's backyard. a dis- disproportionate reality. Like, yeah. It, 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 it's like when you realize that the rectory is like totally blinging marble surfaces everywhere. And then the church is just like carpet and that's ghetto. That's not a good thing. No. Yeah. So that's, that's what he realizes. And he says, okay. And he says, he says to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan answered the king. So this is, again, he's not a yes man, but he's he's Nathan's counsel, right? His prophetic counsel. So Nathan answered the king, go and do whatever you have in mind. He sounds like yes, yes man. <laughs> go and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Yeah, great idea, boss. Good, good. Whatever you think, boss. <laughs> but then here's the thing. So Nathan goes to bed that night, and it says, in the night the Lord spoke to Nathan. And he said, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you should build me a house to dwell. So, so this is kind of where a reading cuts off. Uh, but in the night, God comes to him and says, well, I don't really want David to build me a house after all. So Nathan actually gets up the next morning and um, <laughs> I was trying to read my notes and I said he revoked the building permit. He just okayed the night before. That's <laughs> such a soft joke. <laughs> Dude, that's oh, funny because we actually just, we were, we were trying to get a building permit. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and it didn't go through because of oh, like some that. sort of grease trap. Well, it or will something. go through. There's not a grease trap. <laughs> the water pipes aren't big enough. I don't know. Or maybe it's the grease trap. You would know better than I. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, I, I'm sure I stole this from Tom Smith, by the way, who might be listening. So Tom Smith, if I stole your, I stole your soft joke. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Let me give you a soft laugh. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, but he comes and he, he's like, "No, this is a bad idea. The Lord has revealed to me that you're not supposed to build him a house. God has different plans for David." Right. I'm totally going to use that joke on Sunday. By the <laughs> it's way, it's pretty funny. Um, but here's the thing. So let's see. What what do I want to say about this? There's so much to say. Um, here's what I want to do. Will you permit me to do something sort I of unorthodox? You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Ooh. unorthodox, but <laughs> I mean, un- unusual. unusual. Yeah. There is, I'll confess, I really like a guy named Eugene Peterson. Do you know who Eugene Peterson is? Huge, dude. I I, I mean, like the, the dude is huge. So you don't know who he is? No. Have you heard of the Message Bible? It was a really oh, yeah, popular yeah. paraphrase of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I think it has like bro in it. No, it doesn't have bro. <laughs> That's a different one. Okay. But Eugene Peterson wrote it. 
and I'm not a big fan of Bible paraphrases. I just I just don't like them. No. But it actually he's he's actually he's a really good pastor. He's a smart man. He's a good biblical scholar, and he he had some really good insights. Yeah. And he's got this book called Leap Over a Wall, which is it's reflections on the life of David. We used it back when I taught at the biblical school, and I I actually really like the book. He's a little bit corny at times, but he's got good insights. Yeah. And so. He did a little, in this book, he did a little paraphrase of this scene, and I actually love his paraphrase. And again, I don't really like paraphrases in general, but it just really nails exactly what's going on here and what's our application for this. So, you ready for that? I'm, re- I'm this, just going to read this what he un- says. This unorthodox experience is great. Leap over the wall. So, it says, God's word to David, God's word to David through Nathan was essentially this. You want to build me a house? Forget it. I'm going to build you a house. The kingdom that I'm shaping here isn't what you do for me, but what I do through you. I'm doing the building here, not you. I'm uh, I'm not going to let you confuse things by launching a building operation of your own. If I let you fill Jerusalem with the sights and sounds of your building project with carpenters and hammers and masons' chisels, teamster shouts, before long everyone will be caught up in what you are doing and not attentive to what I am doing. This is my kingdom that we're dealing with, and I am the king. I've gotten along without a so-called house for a long time now. Where did you ever come up with the idea that I want or need a house? If there's any building to be done, I'm going to do it. I've been working with you since you were a shepherd, building a kingdom, a place where salvation and justice can, and peace can be realized. That's why you are here, to give visibility and representation to what I am doing, not to call attention to what you're doing. We've had one failure just like that in King Saul, and we're not going to have another. There will come a time when it's appropriate to build something like you have in mind. Your son, in fact, will do it, but now isn't the time. First, we have to get the concept of my sovereignty established in, God, in the people's imagination and practice. Your kingship is a witness to my kingship, not an obscuring of it. That is the house that I'm building. Your kingship as a witness and representation of my own sovereignty. First things first. Wow, and I really, I just really like that because that is, that's the idea. And there, there is a, you know, there's great spiritual application here, and that we have, you know, we all get caught up. Especially those, probably most of you who are listening to this podcast are involved in your parish in some way. You, you are people that do stuff. You want to go a little deeper. You probably just don't show up on Christmas and Easter for mass. You know, you're probably more involved in your faith. And there's a temptation in people like us to want to do as many things as we can. Well, I'm a better Christian the more I do, right? Yeah. And God, it's actually neat. We don't get this in the reading, but in the verse right after this, David basically goes and just sits with God. And it's like going and sitting in adoration. And he just soaks in what God has told him. And he says, okay, what do you want me to do? What do you want this kingdom to look like? And there, there's this beautiful play on words where David says, I want to build you a house. And God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. You're going to have a son who does build him a house. That's Solomon, his son. But it, it's so much deeper. And here's where the, the first reading is so profoundly important in the mix of all the readings. God says, you're going to have a son. He's going to build me a house. And I'm going to make my kingdom great through him. And all these things are going to happen. And then we get to know Solomon. And Solomon is David's son. And he does build the temple. And he gets wisdom. Remember that? It's famous Solomon for his wisdom. But Solomon has a pretty lousy downfall, and he ends up being one of the worst kings in Israel's history by the end. And he, he, he does precisely all the things that God asked kings not to do. In Deuteronomy 17, remember there's that list of things that kings should never do. They don't have kings yet, but it basically says when you do, kings should never acquire too much of three things. Remember what they were? The um, three W's? Um, no. Their wives don't get too many wives. I was, I was I was going to say that one, but you don't want to say that. So why? Yeah, don't get too many wives. Okay, don't be polygamous. Um, wealth, don't gather too much wealth for yourself, and weaponry. 
or, or offensive weaponry. You can defend yourself, but God says, I don't want you to be the kind of superpower that goes out and conquers nations. That's not who you are. And so it's really under Solomon that you see all three of those begin to tank. And he gets a ton of wives. He gets all of this gold and silver for himself. And he begins to build a, build a military that he shouldn't do. And so here's the problem. You're sort of left wondering, okay, if this is God's answer to this great house that he wants to build, and David's going to have a son who does all this stuff, and that's Solomon, it just kind of leaves you wanting more, doesn't it? You're yeah. just like, wow, that's what God was talking about? Great, super. Well, this is the thing is, is whenever, you're having, whenever you have a prophetic utterance in the Old Testament, you have to pay attention that there's always going to be a proximate resolve yeah. and a remote resolve. Always. And so the proximate resolve, when we look at Solomon, Solomon. we are going like, okay, yeah, my your your son is going to build a house and it's going to mm-hmm. be pretty sweet, and the guy is like, okay, great, wonderful, mm-hmm. but there's problems in in River City, as my father Ooh. would say. That's from <laughs> Oklahoma. No, it's from the Music Man. Yeah, something like that. So there's problems in it, and uh, and that's why we have to look for the remote fulfillment of the prophecy of the house being built. Well, this is the whole problem of the Old Testament, and with no disrespect intended to our Jewish our Jewish friends, I don't think you can have just the Old Testament and really be satisfied. No. Because the Old Testament is chock full of all these promises of these things that God's going to do, and if you're left with the Old Testament ending in Malachi, essentially, yeah. and you're left thinking, okay, well, we're going to have these great kings, David's the greatest one we've had, but he was a murderer and an adulterer and had a child out of wedlock and killed a guy. But he's the best king we've ever had and the best prophets we've ever had and the best everything. And this land that God promised is a strip of land the size of Delaware that we are constantly losing. And our kings have, you know, the Bible ends, the Old Testament ends with our kings being killed. I mean, is that it? You have to end the Bible by thinking, is that that the end of the story? This is all? This is all we get? This is the land? This is the kingship? These are the priests? This is what God has been promising? Well, and that's the thing is where I I think, I mean, and— the Jews that I know still have an expectant. They still have have an expectant heart. Some, some. Oh, really? I, I haven't I haven't encountered otherwise. But of course, there's I don't so know many different many. branches of. Jew- this is That's, why we can't have as much as you can't have a, a question of okay, what do all Christians believe? I mean, there's some commonalities, but there's yeah. so many branches of Protestantism and denominations that. You know, it's really similar in Judaism. There's all yeah. sorts of different beliefs. Some Sect- sectarianism, yeah. Well, and some, you know, really believe that the 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 idea of Messiah is fulfilled in the state of Israel, in the nation of Israel. Um, some believe that the Messiah is still coming. Some believe that, you know, also there's all spectrum of belief. Of, totally. Okay, what do we do with these promises? How do we reconcile the fact that really they haven't come yet? Or have they? Maybe they have come, but it was in in a political means or, or something else. Yeah, but there's so but there's still something tremendously unsatisfying. That's what I think. I mean, for for me, as I read it, I like if I take the mental exercise of going like, "What if we yeah. didn't have what we have now?" It'd be very depressing to me. It'd be like Tom's is hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is where we get the psalm. I actually think. Ooh, it's a good nice, segue. nice a segue, man. I, I haven't rode Thanks, one of those dude. in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I've never ridden a Segway, dude. That I will be either. one of my life's great. Sorrows if I never ride a Segway. Dude, I think that you and I should do a Segway tour. <laughs> There's a dog in the yard. And a Megan. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, where would we tour? Um, I don't know. Dude, this... We could do the Lanky Guys live from Segways. Oh How my could we gosh. somehow podcast while riding Segways? Dude, we'll just get a backpack and we'll do some lavalier mics. And what we'll idea. do is we'll do the California. Terrible idea. We'll do the California mission parishes. So we'll do the <laughs> pilgrimage on Segways while doing Lanky Guys. Sold. Okay, done. Okay. 
Um, our sponsor won't like that. No, our sponsor will no, they love, love that. It. Yeah, because I'll we'll we'll wear their T-shirts. I'll even wear a freaking hat. <laughs> a freaking <laughs> a freaking cool down there, father. Oh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, Psalm eighty nine. Okay, it says forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Um, here's the thing about Psalm eighty nine. It Psalm eighty nine basically has three components to it. Trace. Um, have you heard this before? No. So the the first part of it has to do with really all of creation, um, uh, God's, God's activity in all of creation, right? Okay. The heavens and the earth, all generations, my mouth proclaims your faithfulness, all these things, right? You, you have done all these things in creation. The second part of it, which is what our passage zooms in on, is God's covenant promise to the house of David. Here's what he's done specifically to his... So he created and he loves all of creation. Okay. Specifically, he's created this kingdom to show forth his greatness within creation, and then the third part um, kind of has the downfall, basically the, the history of the threat to this kingdom. So God loves and, and, and cares for all of creation. To do that, he's founded a kingdom to be his visible, this visible reality within creation. But now that visible reality is threatened and has been torn down. And it leaves you with, what do we do? Now, we don't get that third part as much in the reading that we actually have. You do it a lot with the Davidic part. I mean, the second stanza is a... I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, forever. I will confirm your pro- your posterity and establish your throne for all generations. Now, here's the problem. David is, you know, again, this great king. He's given this great promise that in the first reading, God's going to build him a house. And here in the Psalms, it's even, you know, accentuated that he's going to establish his throne for all generations. He's going to be a king forever. And this family line is going to continue. Again, by the time the Old Testament ends, even by the time the book of uh, Jeremiah ends, the last sitting king is killed. He's slaughtered on the plains of Jericho. And as far as anybody knows, the line of David is obliterated. So how do you reconcile all of these promise that promises that a son of David is going to continue on and reign forever? What was the but there's a community uh, that that took very extensive genealogical records that were tracking stuff. That's actually how we know of David and and um I mean sorry of um how Joseph and Mary <clears throat> have um traces back into the line there I, we tell were, me more i don't know about this yeah gosh i wish i had my notes in front of me from seminary i i i, I think that they were burned at my graduation but I, um, <laughs> oh, i'm just kidding that I, I, that's like that's like a funny joke you know you're like burn the books i've graduated but that's not um that's not what <laughs> not i a did great idea but um i they're not searchable they're not they're not indexed so that as i could put a search term in i couldn't find it so um what uh, what we were talking about? How um, I mean, how do you know that Mary is of David's line? Because it says so in the scriptures. Because <laughs> there were communities right. that, that that were actually paying attention. I mean, we we have a, in a very large way that David's line was broken. Um, but there are well, nobody knows if it was broken. We just have the last recorded there, figure. There we are. Cut but, down. But there was a group in the background that that said, "No, we're we're going to keep extensive records." Okay, that's cool. That's why at the beginning of Matthew we have the fourteen generations, and then the fourteen, and then the yeah, 14. yeah, yeah, totally. DVD doesn't isn't that what that spells? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or DWD. DWD. No v. Oh yeah. The weed. Yeah, because I always thought that it was funny that it was DVD, and I was like, that's like a digital video disc. It is like a digital video <laughs> video, video disc. Video. Um, but uh, 
but yeah, all of this is pointing toward the fact that you know the Psalms are kind of cool. I'd love to teach. Maybe I should teach a class on the Psalms next semester. But the Psalms, I, dude, are, I need it because I pray them all day. Oh well, yeah, you do every day. Boom. But they're split into five books, right? Five parts, each of which really is retelling different parts of salvation history. It is the story of salvation history in song. Yeah, yeah, just like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? Lord of the Rings, they constantly tell the story of the histories of uh, the the three ages through song. If you so if you've ever read Good the book, if you've I ever have. read the books, they're yeah, it's it's you kind of struggle through the songs, but they're <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're good, good. Um, yeah, gosh, I think that's that's a tremendous idea. Mm. But at the car of this is it's all about David. Did you say the car of this? The car, father. the car of this. <laughs> hey, father, what's the car of all of it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I'm I, if I'm a priest, I'm Irish. I mean, like, yeah, actually, I'm Welsh. I'm yeah. half Welsh. Welsh, which the Irish make fun of us. Yep, they do indeed. I'm not Irish, but. Well, that, Everybody makes fun of the Poles. So. That's okay. Hi. But nobody makes fun of the Romans. No, they don't really. Good segue. So this comes from the end of the book of Romans. I think it is. It's is the it very the end. end? It's yeah, the, it it's, is. It's the end of the book as we know it, but I feel it's fine. It's the end of the book as we know it, but I feel fine. Good. We got our quota of singing in for the week. <laughs> so Romans 16, 25 through 27, it says, it, it's short. He says, he closes the book of Romans by saying, Brothers and sisters, to him who can strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages, but now manifested through the prophetic writings and according to the command of the eternal God, made known to all nations to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love how that actually fits in the grand scheme of these readings. Bro, you're going to have to tell me because I'm looking. Oh, dude. I'm, I'm like. You're not seeing it? Well, I mean, kind of. So, I mean, it, it, you see this. Well, okay, let me tell you what I see. And I don't then, think it's that. Pro- I mean, it is profound. It's it's not. Well, Jesus hidden. Jesus Christ is the new temple. Yeah, but why does the church choose this for this week? Why does it combine it with that first reading? Because here, here here's what I think is going on. I mean. The church combines the first reading because she just said, look, there's this promise given to David that David's going to have a son who's going to build this house and have this everlasting kingship and everlasting kingdom that will reign forever through his bloodline. And you're like, okay, where is it? And then Paul ends Romans, which is his, his key theological work, I think, by saying, hey, all of this is written through him who strengthens you according to my gospel that I just told you, the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of this mystery, which was kept secret for long ages because everyone was left after that prophecy given to David that you're going to have a son who's going to build you this great house and then the Psalms say his kingdom is going to reign forever. Where is it? That was kept secret for long ages and for hundreds of years, the people of Israel dwelt in darkness. The people who dwelt in darkness have now seen a great light. What is it? Well, they didn't know where this kingship had gone. They didn't know where the kingdom was. They didn't know who was this son that Daniel, that David was speaking about. What is it? It's so veiled. It's kept secret. And now Paul says it's manifested through the prophetic writings because we can go back and we can look at the words of Nathan the prophet. We can look at the words of Isaiah and we can see that according to the command of the eternal God made known to all the nations, why? To bring about the obedience to faith so that we are under one true king. But that was all kept secret and kept hidden for a long time. And Paul is basically ending this letter by saying, look, the moment that all of human history has been waiting for, it's now been revealed. In your face. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's how I, you know, it's, 
It's really just the fact, what caught my eye was no, just the is. fact that Paul was talking about something being kept secret for a long time. So we began talking about, okay, how is this prophecy to David through Nathan really brought to fulfillment? Well, Paul gives you the answer. Well, it was kept secret for a long time, and now we see it. Which it's is as simple as that. With with a goal. Which, with a goal. Which is the obedience of faith. Which Do you know that the obedience of faith, the idea of obedience of faith, is the concept that bookends all of Romans? No. He begins with the concept in chapter 1. He ends with it in chapter 16. Obedience of faith or faithful allegiance to the king yeah. in the city of Rome, the imperial capital, under the nose of Nero, that is the key component of the book. That is the, the, the bookending idea of an obedience or an allegiance to one king who is not Nero. I, I think it's a fascinating kind of historical note here. Wow. And again, that ties this back in because he's saying, look, according to David, there is another king who far surpasses Nero, who goes over and above the Caesars of Israel. That's where your obedience or your faithful allegiance, as some translations have it. I like faithful allegiance better because it reminds me more of royalty. It's it's really what it's getting at, that's, which is cool. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Which we see a very strong faithful allegiance when we come to the gospel. Oh, good segue. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, dear. The, well, oh, dear. Okay. I, I mean, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you, I'm, you, I'm just punchy right now. Dude, I, I'm going to show you what punchy oh, actually oh, is. Oh, good one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh, pardon me. <laughs> you are totally absurd. Um, mm. Which is which is beautiful. We started this podcast talking about the sorry you dude i had an insight okay just about the remote and then the proximate fulfillment of scripture good what is the notion of the building a house (laughs) that's where (laughs) that's where we get to the enunciation yeah which is just so awesome well here's what's so beautiful about number one the gospel of luke and number two mary herself the book of luke the gospel of luke which is is quite frankly where we get the bulk of our understanding about the events that led up to Christmas. And this is where we get the 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 birth narratives, really, more than any other gospel. Oh. Or in Luke. Absolutely. I mean, Matthew gives you a little bit, and he gives you a little bit of stuff that Luke didn't have, so that the whole thing with, with Joseph kind of struggling about, that was an idea in my head. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, come on. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. Well, they <laughs> didn't there's a little it. light bulb just popped they, they You don't think it. they heard that? No, no. Oh. But what's cool- My computer went, ding! <laughs> into our headphones. And... um but this we're in the the 26th verse to the first chapter of Luke. Yes. I know make fun of my language. Just do it. Just No, I thought but what what ended up happening is um that um we are seeing a compare and contrast of the annunciation of John the Baptist with with the, That's exactly the, right. the annunciation of Jesus. And so so I mean it, the infancy narrative here in Luke I mean is is really the richest. I mean you you can look around everywhere else it, it's it's nowhere near as detailed. But what about it? I mean so what's the key, the, the whole I think the key characteristic to all of Luke and again to Mary in her person is Luke is all about ironic reversals. That's the whole idea. It's always the opposite of what you expect. And if you read Mary's own Magnificat, so what she says after the Annunciation, the whole Magnificat is ironic, ironic reversals. reversals. Absolutely. My soul becomes, he has lifted up the lowly. He has sent the, well, the rich away empty. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. I just said, <laughs> but you know, it's all, it's all the opposite. So, yeah, yeah, lift up the lowly, cast down the high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you're 
thinking in terms of this promise made to David that he's going to have this son who's going to be a great king and his kingdom will endure forever, which is reiterated by the Psalms and by Daniel and by Isaiah and all the rest that all these things are going to happen. Then you get the beginning of Luke. When you get the fullness of time has now arrived, Luke's gospel begins, like you said, the first verses are all about Zechariah. It's this, it's the scene of Zechariah in the temple. He has the angel Gabriel appear to him and say, you're going to bear a son. Zechariah was this priest in the temple offering the incense, doing one of those profound things a priest could ever do in his life, which was go closest to the, the presence of the living God than any other human being alive. He's offering the prayer on behalf of the people of Israel, and he has an appearance by an angel who gives him a message. And the message is, you're going to have the number two guy, which is just funny. You'd expect the big, <laughs> you know, there's two messages here at the beginning. One is given to a priest in the temple at the hour of sacrifice, doing the most profound thing a priest could do. And another announcement is given to someone who's probably a, you know, 13, 14 year old peasant girl in a town called Nazareth, which nobody cares about. Everybody's in the middle like, of nowhere. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, that's like Frederick. You right. Know? It is like, well, Frederick's getting built up now. Isn't it? <laughs> it's like, uh, Ray, Colorado. Burlington. Burlington. Oh, all of our Burlington listeners are going to get mad. I'm sorry, Burlington and Ray. But and we, Frederick. you know, where do you expect? You expect that the big announcement's going to come to the priest in the temple at the hour of sacrifice in Boulder. And the second, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> well, it, it's like saying, okay, oh, I don't know. There, there's a proclamation that went out from the Vatican this morning. And then there was another announcement that went out from the Diocese of Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> Which one's the more important one? Yeah. Well, ironically, this reverses it. And yes. the one that you expect to be more important is the number two announcement. Hey, Zechariah, priest, you're going to have the number two guy. Mary, no one, you know, you nobody from Nowheresville, Nazareth, you're going to have the Messiah. But it's always the opposite of what you expect. And so if you've been reading the readings and if you've been looking at, at David and the history of Israel and the whole of whole of salvation history, and you're expecting one thing, you're going to get the opposite. And that's how Luke begins his whole story of Jesus, that exactly what you're expecting, you need to change your perspective. You need to expect the opposite. And Mary's Magnificat draws that all out because what her soul is proclaiming is the greatness of the Lord. It's the history of Israel coming to its fulfillment. Yes. But she's saying it's going to happen in the way that no one expected. Yep. But it's really neat. So you get this great scene of, uh, yeah, the Annunciation, Gabriel appearing. Which is... Gabriel was busy that week. Yeah, no Let's just say that. But this is the thing, is that um, this is also the foundations of the new temple. Oh, yeah. Being built, which is the uh, direct contrast to saying, "What, what kind of house can you build me? Oh, I'm going to build you a house. Wow, a literal one. Who and 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 so we have this wow. direct contrast to where we see. Okay, like even then with with Saul, I mean with Solomon, we're like going like, oh, that's a great, that's a beautiful temple. But but the reality of what the true temple is and what the house and where we're going to dwell mm. is so far more profound. And so what we're seeing is yes. like like. There's no way that David could conceive, and and you even hear it in the prophecy back in 2 Samuel, there's no way he could conceive that what we would be called into the very being of God. 
Yes. Like that is actually where we're meant to dwell and to inhabit. And it's like, yeah. it, it blows your mind. So, he, so it's like, I'm going to show you what kingship really is. This is, and the kingship, I'm going to call you into the kingship and I'm going to call all of my people into the kingship. I'm going to call them all into the priestly reality. These are things that are actually meant to be dispersed and disseminated throughout all of the world intensely. Yeah. Oh, there's so much more that, there's so much we could say about this because this this whole... I mean, you and I, I, brr, brr, there's just a lot here that I'm, I'm so, yes. b- but you've connected some dots for me because I mean, this whole, the whole first reading sets us up for a building of kinds, which oh. I hadn't been thinking in those terms today. Yeah. But I mean, so, you know, uh, well, here's the thing. So when we go, uh, there's just more, more. Okay. So here's what Mary <laughs> says. To, here's what the angel says to her. Hit me. First of all, he says, hail, full of grace. The Lord is with you. You've heard this whole gig, right? The, the, the title he actually gives Mary, it's where we get that first line of the it, hail isn't Mary. It, but isn't it perfect, uh, pluperfect? Uh, it's uh, perfect. It's the past perfect participle. Par- past <laughs> perfect participle, which means that that an action having been completed in the past, Correct. progressing infinitely into the future. Yeah, it's funny. We don't, we don't have that in English. So we have three tenses in English. We have past tense. So you could say, I went to the store. We have present tense, I am at the store, or future tense, I am going to go to the store. But in Greek, there's another tense, which is called the perfect tense, which means something like, I went to the store, I've already put the groceries away, and now the food that's within me is actually going to give me life for the rest of my days. Or, or some, you know what I mean? It, it's, <laughs> there's no equivalent in English exactly. But what it's saying is the word kikiritomine. So he says, hail, you who have in the past been totally and completely filled with grace to your totality. How you doing? What, what? That's what that's what he calls her, which is why uh, there's so many Catholic teachings that we get from this, this idea that there's no room. She's been cleansed from original sin. She's been saved from sin like all the rest of us by Jesus Christ. He just happened to do it prior to her birth in her conception. So she is totally filled with grace to the totality. And he says, the Lord is with you. And there's this great line. It says, but she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And then the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found with favor with God. It's interesting, and I've always had students bring this up. If you read the story carefully, so Mary gets this announcement. She's kind of freaked out by it. Uh, of course. Less than a chapter before, Zechariah got a similar announcement. You're going to have the son. He's also freaked out, but in exchange for his being freaked out, he's struck mute for <laughs> nine months. <laughs> Mary which, w- w- is told, you- no, it's cool. It's all right, Mary. Take comfort. Well, this is the thing. What's is, the difference? Well, I mean, par- a big one. I mean, part of it is is that uh, uh, he was actually supposed to utter the name of the Lord in blessing over the people, and so when he struck, you don't mute, think he did? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Zechariah. Continue. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like as a priest in the temple, his whole thing is, is he pulled Lot. This is like a unique moment, maybe the only time in his whole life that he it is the get, only time you could never do this again as a priest. So he gets it one time, one time, and and he's like, oh, I'm not. He's like, but uh, like, I, how is this going to happen? Like. He says it with doubt and not in full belief and full well, surrender. Part of part of the what he's doing though is is offering the prayer on behalf of the people of Israel. So the end part of that is that he gives the blessing to the people. I mean the sign of the cross. He doesn't make the sign of the cross, but but a big part of what he's doing is is simply being the one to offer the prayer on behalf of the nation of Israel. But he doesn't get to say the name of the Lord. No, he doesn't get to do it because he's struck. But but the key is what's the difference though? They both seem to react similarly, don't they? They're close. One, one's, but one struck mute, and one is told, "No, it's cool. It's all right. Don't be afraid." One is is uh, uh, I mean, Mary's is like. Have you ever have you ever pro- uh, thought about this though? It's I, it's I, a really important. 
I have, but profound yeah, profound question. Ab- absolutely. I mean, the 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 words that uh, he says. How can? Um, oh no, sorry. It's um, um, Zecher said, "How shall I know this? Yes. I'm an, and I'm an old man. My I'm wife. An old man. He says this isn't like well, really. Well, like he says, I am right. I am Gabriel, dude. He's like you're gonna question a mystical vision, bro. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and and Mary says, "How is this going to be?" I yeah, have, I have no husband. So you get the I think you get the sense that Zachariah is questioning whether it can happen. Mary is questioning the mechanics of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. how I always look. Oh, at that's it. a good way to say it. But there's another piece to this. Hit me. Part of it is that so what what the angel says to Mary, that simple tiny little line where he says the Lord is with you, mm-hmm. that line alone should make her totally freak out. Well, uh, yeah, because, because of that line, her only appropriate response is fear. Because it's only happened twice other in the... Oh, no, the Lord is with you. No, no, no. Yeah, sorry, you're thinking... Sorry. I know, I'm, I know thinking, where I'm thinking of Elizabeth. No, yeah. no. Yeah, why is that the Why only, is that so significant? Because the only time that... It's happened more than, twi- more than twice, but the only time that phrase occurs when God says, the Lord is with you, it's always and exclusively when he's going to make somebody do something that's going to be excruciatingly hard. So <laughs> when Moses is told to go before Pharaoh, the most par- powerful man in the world, and demand the people be set free... The bush says, don't worry, the Lord is with you. <laughs> when Jeremiah is told to, to go foretell the destruction of the temple and everyone's going to try to kill him, so don't worry, the Lord is with you. When David has to go off to battle. So whenever someone, a, figure, a biblical figure has to do something that's going to be really hard and almost cost their life, they're told the Lord is with you. So when Mary hears the words, hey, the Lord is with you, her only proper response if she's biblically formed should be, oh, shoot. <laughs> That's not going to be good. A sword's yep. probably going to pierce my heart now. Dun, dun. So her only proper response is, oh, wow, the Lord's calling me to something that's going to be really difficult. So her response is appropriate if you understand the whole biblical tradition of the language that's being used, which I think she would have. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So she's different. And then so the angel goes on. He says, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son. And, you know, we, we go on. There's all sorts of things we could say about this. But what we don't get is when she goes up to visit Elizabeth, which comes right after this. And that's where your mind was jumping to, because when she shows up at Elizabeth's house, her kinswoman, her, her aunt, who certain tradition actually suggests that Mary's parents would have died young, a long time ago, and that perhaps Mary was actually raised by Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were far older than she. So we don't know for sure, but there's a small T tradition that says, well, part of the reason she goes back to them is they're kind of her parents in a certain sense, her, her parental figures. No. Oh. So we don't know. But anyway, she goes back. She goes to Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth sees her, she says what? What's her greeting? Do you remember? Um, uh, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, um, blessed are you among women. Yeah, blessed are you among women. And that line... We have JL. It's only been used twice. That's the one that was only showed up two other times. JL and Judith. JL and Judith. And and it's it's both when um, a, a woman... Uh, has to actually strike a mortal wound to the head of the enemy army alone. Exactly. And and so, like, one uses a tent peg, puts it through his head, the other one lops the dude's heads off with a sword. So as, oh. soon as, as soon as she says this, you're going, like, you are going to actually be going to war. You're actually going to actually have to strike a mortal wound to the head of the enemy army. The real enemy. The real enemy. And the weapon that you carry is Christ. And what I, that's actually not where I meant to go with that, but that it's super important. But even before that, 
when it's, so she says, blessed are you among women, but verse 42, it's just after what we read, it says that Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And again, in our English versions, it's just, oh, she shouted out, she exclaimed, she did this thing. But the word that's used for exclaimed, it's the word anaponeo in Greek. And okay. it's only used six times in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Oh. Every time it's used, the only times it's used are describing Levitical priests, so the priestly class, um, praising God before the Ark of the Covenant. Oh. It's the only time that that word, anaponeo, is used. Now, what is Elizabeth's ethnic background? Well, she is a wife of a priest. Not just that. She's Levitical. She herself is. So Zechariah is Levitical, but she also is Levitical. So she is from the priestly family. So she now acts as priest in a certain sense, not women priests, but she is acting priestly, Standing before what? The Ark of the Covenant. The new Ark of the Covenant. So what's the so this is the whole building concept that you brought up. What was the oh. Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was the thing that housed the literal presence of God. They believed God was in the Ark of the Covenant. Oh. But what else? So the Ark of the Covenant, it was this this little structure that eventually they built a temple around yeah. to house it. But it had but three things in what it. What were the three things? It this had is the huge. Word of God written by the finger of God. So you have the the, 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 the tablets of the law. You had the uh, jar of manna and the yeah. priestly rod of Aaron. Yeah. So you have the representation of God's word, God's priesthood, and the bread come down from heaven. What's inside Mary's womb right now? The true word of God written by the finger of God, the bread that comes down from heaven and the true priest. And the true high priest. So Mary is literally the tabernacle. And Elizabeth sees that. She exclaims, she is a priest before the tabernacle in a very real sense. And it, it's, I mean, there, you know, there's so many parallels with this. There's this uh, right before our first reading in 2 Samuel 6, yeah. before jo, uh, David settles in Jerusalem, there's the story about him going to the hill country of Judea. Do you remember this whole thing? Yeah, he takes the Ark of the Covenant with him, goes to the hill country of Judea, and dwells in the home of this guy, Obededom, for three months. And while he's there, he leaps and dances before the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, yeah, as it comes in to Jerusalem, and that's actually what demands his death because of, yeah. because of uh, what's her name? She's like, she was embarrassed because he was dancing in his underwear Jezebel. before in the ark. Well, no, it wasn't Jezebel. I, can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember. But it's the same word when he he damps and dances and leaps before the ark. It's the same word that's used for what? Do you remember? John the Baptist John leaping the Baptist. in the womb of, of uh, Elizabeth. Of Elizabeth. Elizabeth. <laughs> so the parallels are huge, but here's why I think this is important, especially for us as Catholics. If Mary is literally the new ark of the covenant, I don't, I don't see how you can see any way around that. And if you think back to what the Ark of the Covenant was in the Old Testament, it was the vessel that bore God's presence. The Ark of the Covenant was to be reverenced. It was to be cared for. It was to be held in incredibly high esteem, but it was not to be worshipped, and it was not to be used as a magic. There were actually times in the Old Testament when they take the Ark of the Covenant off to war and they kind of use it as like a lucky rabbit's foot. Well, if we have the Ark with us, then we'll be fine. And when they misuse the Ark or when they fall into worshiping the Ark or something like that, they're struck, de- they're struck dead. They're punished for that. So the Ark of the Covenant is something that they bring with them, they esteem, they reverence, they honor, but is not to be seen as God. It's meant to be seen as a tool to actually bring them to God and actually help God's assistance to them, which is such a great way to think of Mary. Mary, we don't worship Mary. We're not to worship Mary. We're to reverence her, to honor her because she bears God within her. We use her. We bring her into battle with us in very real ways. We pray to her because it's through her that God comes to us, just like it's through the Ark that God's presence is with us us. But when we misuse Mary, that's a bad thing. We can't worship her. We can't use her as a lucky charm. Well, if I just pray to his mom, everything will be great. It's not that. She's really the ark, and she's to be looked at in that way. 
which is, I think, a very beautiful apologetic for why Catholics look at Mary the way we do. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a really beautiful parallel, too, even with David in the house of David, because she is of David's line. Yes. And so we're seeing... Well, she's of David's line, right? She is a descendant of David. Who else is she a descendant of, though? I don't know. Who's her aunt? A Levite. A Levite. Yeah. So Mary is simultaneously from the royal line and from the priestly line. Oh. Isn't it convenient that the Messiah Ooh. happens to be a priest king? Dude. You're kind of God cool. covers all of his bases. I'm pretty impressed with your brain. But she then is the structure, the building, the house that God uses to house his new presence, the new temple, the new tabernacle, which is ultimately what that first reading, like you said, was always pointing to. But well, and that's and that's the great thing about the both and uh, that we live as Catholics. So yeah. the, the Christ is the new temple; it is the new house. But yes. Mary is the new ark, and then the new house of the presence of God. It's like it's both and, and that's where, and. where where you're sitting there, and you're going like, "Oh, this is the best! It's yeah. priestly, it's kingly. I'm freaking out. This is the best. <laughs> we could no, you could never even see this, even if you had a really good imagination. No, you couldn't. There's no way you could come up with this. And then you see it, and the reality is so far greater. So it's true. It's true. This. This is the perfect way to prepare our hearts for the coming of the Lord into the world to see the True new story. house of the Lord. Um, so, thanks for joining us, especially you eighth graders out there. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure there's six of you that are t- totally sacked out right now, like going like I'm, that. Oh, one. tired. Yeah, just totally. They I'm sacked out. Sacked meaning sl- sleeping. I'm not hip with your eighth grade lingo. Hey, what, what, dude? I'm I'm not that hip with my eighth grade. No, you are. So yeah, it's probably for the best. So we all wish you a very Miss Christmas. Miss Christmas. <laughs> we miss you a happy fourth Sunday of Advent. <laughs> we wish you a happy fourth Sunday of Advent. All right. We'll be back next week. <laughs> um, so we'll see you then. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.